The Geopolitics and Empire podcast is joined by Bill Ottman, who is the co-creator and CEO of the alternative open source social media and networking platform Minds at Minds.com. We'll be talking about big tech censorship, the social media and crypto space and his thoughts on where America is headed. Thanks for coming on the podcast, Bill. Hey, thanks for having me. Now, I'm going to admit that Although I've had a Minds account uh, where I post each episode of the podcast, I haven't been using Minds uh, or the other alternatives such as Gab, MeWe, Parler, Steemit, uh, and BitChute as actively, uh, but I plan to change that. And ultimately, I don't think we'll have a choice because big tech is on a long march of censoring and terminating social media accounts of countless people and organizations. And that's something I think we could start with is what's your view on the current state of big tech censorship that seems to be accelerating? And why do you think they keep doing what they're doing? It's a very good question. Why do they keep doing that? Because the data shows that it makes extremism, polarization much worse. You know, it's very clear to them that they're alienating a whole side of the world. I mean, a whole a whole ideology. I mean, well, the targeting does seem to be affecting conservatives more so. But as we just saw a couple of days ago, Facebook bans like many far left accounts, um, which in some ways makes their policy more consistent. But their their policies are still just totally indecipherable. And so I, I just, I feel like the big platforms are stuck. I think that they have signed on to this type of censorship methodology and many, many big companies, advertisers and whatnot expect that they're only going to go further down this path and to reverse course while I would argue would be smarter for them in the long run, it's, you know, it, it alienates less people and it actually makes the, the problems on the internet uh, much uh, more likely to be fixed. But I, I just, I think that we're going to keep seeing questionable behavior from them. We're going to start seeing all the alternatives rise up to become more competitive. Um, we're we're going to, get better features. We're going to be functionally competitive. We're going to have more critical mass. And so I don't really see a world where they don't exist anymore so much. I, I don't think that's going to be as possible as, you know, it was with like Friendster or MySpace because they're way more embedded in culture than those sites were. But we will, I think, be able to pressure them in the long term to move more towards where we stand if we can get to be on the same level as them. Yeah, I wanted to get into minds and the alternatives uh, a little bit later on, but continue along this, this line uh, of the, the big tech uh, and, and censorship. And there's this one aspect to the digital space and censorship that I find personally few people talking about, but which I think is one of the most important points. And I've had a number of guests on to discuss this, is this dystopian social credit system. We see it uh, in China with the sesame credits, but it seems to now be coming to all countries uh, in the world. All of these digital platforms, including Minds, have a gamification type system where I guess, for example, you get points and rewards for certain actions and, and behavior and in some cases punishments, which in itself isn't, isn't bad. You know, I enjoy video games and I have applied gamification in the classroom. 
But the problem becomes that system coming into the hands of, of tyrants, uh, whether private corporations or our own uh, governments. And we saw the founder of Gab recently reveal how Visa banned him and his wife from operating a debit and credit uh, account. And so how do you view this social credit system? Is it something that overlaps with this big tech uh, censorship and something to be feared? Yeah, for sure. I mean, I think it's it's very likely that they already have social credit systems running in the background and that that's how a lot of the shadow banning logic is is working. Um, now, it does get complicated. What we're trying to build out is more of a decentralized reputation system. I think the reputation does matter. And I try to you know, not be overly naive. And I, I, so I think that when you're dealing with bots, uh, spam, all kinds of manipulative behavior, legitimate trolls, um, and, and harassment and this kind of stuff, you do want, sorry about the background noise. Uh, we, you do want some mechanism mechanisms to, understand that and to incentivize productive contributions like we have a, a group of users that are like trying to farm our, our token system right now and they're all you know voting on each other's posts and it's 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 unfortunate you know because they're sort of muddying the waters for for other people and we do need to figure out ways to deal with that now what we've been rather than having like a centralized social credit system where you know, a, a, a singular institution is, is, is creating these scores. What we're trying to create, and, you know, it, it is complicated. It, it is somewhat victim to, to mobs. But if everybody is building reputation within different categories, so for instance, you have your expertise in, you know, in, in geopolitics. So do you think I'll, put, I'll, I'll I'll pose as a question? Do you think that over time it would make sense for you to build up more reputation in the areas where you are an expert? Yeah, there's logic there. Yeah, so that you know when you're on the geopolitics feed, that you know potentially your vote could have a little bit more weight than somebody who's like clearly spam or a bot, and so that allows actually humans to get involved in the in, in building feeds as opposed to just purely algorithmic and popularity based. I think that there's a lot of value to both feeds. Like you sort of do want to be able to see what is the global trending purely based on votes. That's interesting. But that is going to have a lot of manipulative activity in it. It's going to have people, it's going to have probably some bots. It's going to have some people in their little circles of, um, you know, vote for vote type type stuff, which you see on Twitter and you see on Instagram, you see it everywhere. And so if you could also have a feed that was built around people who have expertise in different categories and they built up that reputation over time and different people, the community was voting on them and giving them that reputation. I think that, so that's not us deciding, hey, each user has this score. That's actually the community deciding. And we would want to build in mechanisms to prevent against mobs and you know, you can also build in decayed voting power so that mobs can't, you know, just 
on systematically go around and, and, and engage in this type of stuff. But, and you, so you want room for error, but I do think that that is a really interesting model, especially when you're dealing with people who are, have hot takes on stuff that they just don't know anything about and incentivizing it's all about incentives. So, so game, bringing in game theory, bringing in tokens, gamification has been amazing. People love it. But you do have, like, right now we're really rewarding for engagement. So if you get a lot of votes and shares and comments and you make referrals to the network, we're rewarding tokens for that. We're, and that's great. We're not going to get rid of that. But bringing in something that's a little bit more productive to the community, like rewarding people for helping curate content into different tags and helping with, with these types of organizational jobs is, um, and finding, and finding spam and finding manipulative posts. And so no central authority would be deciding what is true or false, but the community would, would be more involved. Mm-hmm. And I had another question, which you touched on, um, which is uh, this problem uh, of both users of social media and the creators of social media platforms such as yourself. You know, for example, I get uh, private messages, emails, podcast reviews, uh, social media comments calling me left-wing radical, right-wing extremist, conspiracy theorist, Russian propaganda, and so on. And I'm certain some are from extremely ideological people, and I wouldn't doubt that others are from actual uh, government trolls. You know, Wired has written about the 77th Brigade uh, of British intelligence, whose job is to go online and, and troll people criticizing the government. And, you know, you and mines have also gotten falsely uh, slandered and you know do we just take it on the chin how do users and alternative platforms uh, best deal with this I, I guess it would be kind of related to the reputation score you touched on oh well absolutely I mean first uh, bringing in a decentralized reputation system like what I was just talking about it definitely inhibits the power of these these troll farms and troll operations to go and 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 manipulate information I think that the you know the slander about Nazis and you know far left, far right is really. I think it's like the last sad cry of, you know, ideologues who just aren't really looking at the empirical evidence around what they're even talking about. So, yeah, like vi- actually, a lot of our press is great. Like we just had great pr- coverage by The Economist. We got a good mention in New York Times. We, we, we do in Wall Street Journal. We have received overall really great coverage because I think that we are m- really careful about maintaining neutrality with regards to our marketing. And, you know, we're not com- from the top down endorsing left or right views, which some alternative networks do fall into, I would argue. And, you know, I think they have the right to do that. That's fine. But, you know, for them to get more backlash because they're retweeting, you know, a ton of conservative content. And so, like, what do you really expect the left wing media? I mean, I still don't think that they should go around slandering and trying to deplatform. But if you take a stance as in a leadership position at a network, that's just expected that you're going to that there's going to be a reaction to that. So, but I guess the point I was trying to make is that you will never change a Nazi's mind if you ban them. So, the number of 
radical users that media companies have transformed is base is zero. I mean, they go and call out, they call out Facebook, they call it Instagram, Twitter, they call out everyone for having controversial content. And they pressure a lot of people to take down. They actually, Vice did find a couple of actual, you know, accounts that were sort of advocating violence. So we did take some accounts down that they took, that they spoke about, which is because we don't allow that, but for true threats of violence, but we do allow extreme ideology that's nonviolent because the only way you will ever change those people is if you give them a platform. And I'm not even expecting to change anybody, but we are, you know, working on a de-radicalization initiative and it bridges into mental health as well. Like you can't just ban people for having these ideas and it's going to make the world and the internet a much worse place if, if we just keep banning it and there's, everyone's just going to go to another platform it's really not looking at network dynamics. And so all the writers of these pieces have really not looked at the research around it. And they're going to be embarrassed eventually because the research is going to overwhelmingly show that ideological transformation only occurs in, in open forums where civil discourse can unfold. So that's what we're trying to build and it is working and we're partnered with really cool People like Daryl Davis, Parallel Networks, different de-radicalization initiatives, mental health groups. And that imagine if 50,000 Facebook mods were actually out there trying to talk to people as opposed to just going around banning everybody. Like what, what would actually be making the world a better place? Yeah, I would totally agree. And we've seen that in the past examples of you know, nonviolent civil action from Martin Luther King and Gandhi uh, and so on. Um, and speaking of, you know, uh, ideological uh, extremism, I did want to get your thoughts briefly on what you see happening uh, in the U.S., you know, this breakdown of society and, and order uh, and this push by this radical, I don't know what you call it, Jacobin left wing uh, movement at the moment that is using cancel culture to unperson uh, individuals, organizations, as well as literally burning down businesses and, and entire cities. It seems to be you know, working in, in some aspects with uh, big tech and online censorship. So what do you make of, you know, the riots we're witnessing from Portland to Wisconsin and the threat that this movement poses in leading to a, a violent political conclusion in America? I think that it's really terrifying. And to be honest, I do feel like it is connected to what has been going on on major social networks. I, you know, you, you, it's the ra it is the radicalization. They have been fueling the radicalization uh, in politics. And, you know, even people who are Republicans and Democrats at this point, I would argue, have almost become radicalized. So, you know, family members can't have conversations anymore. You know, they, they, they are disowning each other. No one wants to talk. Everyone is so emotional. There's no room for any, any freedom to disagree and, you know, just love each other and have compassion for people who have, who have other ideas. That's out the window. And so we're seeing this, like, manifestation of, you know, toxic online culture in the real world. It's get, things are getting violent. And, I mean, I just feel like there's a, a little bit of a tone deafness happening. Like, I saw this article out of uh, The Intercept a couple days ago where 
and and it was talking about how all these far left accounts had had been taken down from YouTube or uh, Facebook because of uh, you know the Antifa and maybe it was related to violence or or some something around those lines and you know they were just acting like surprised and acting as if their violence was more justified than you know the nazi violence and you know oh far right extremists have had this number of deaths and far left have only had this number of deaths and even if that number is true which it may be there may be more more far right you know recent far right associated uh murders I, I i haven't dug into that but i'm willing to accept that that's possible it does murder is murder so and there's no such like getting into this whole like justified murder scenario where you know our murder is good murder our our riots are are, are good riots i think that that's not the place that we want to be <laughs> we, we we all want to be on the nonviolent train and so Oddly, we, we have attracted a, a pretty large progressive user base. And so, you know, we have really cool progressive people like, you know, Lee Camp, Abby Martin, um, David Pakman, those types of progressives who, you know, they have their heads on their shoulders. They, they, they are willing to talk. They support free speech. They understand that this, this isn't a... Um, you know, free speech for us, but not free speech for them type of a situation. So, you know, I think the best thing that we can do to diffuse a lot of the violence happening is to be able to talk more and to be able to communicate online more. But unfortunately, the largest social networks in the world are not taking leadership role in in facilitating civil discourse you know, why is, why aren't Google and Twitter and Facebook, you know, featuring dialogue, featuring dialogue um, between a lot of the top intellectuals on, on, you know, across the spectrum, bringing in, um, you know, having honest conversations. I think this is why podcasting is blowing up, you know, you know, having conversations like the ones you have and, you know, the place where you're seeing the real conversations happen are, are on these podcasts. And, you know, the quick hot takes that happen on, on Twitter are just, it just feeds the fire. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I, I wanted to go back to, again, to look at now minds in the social, the rising social media alternatives, you know, going back to my uh, first point um, that there's this problem where 95% of the people we know are stuck on the big tech uh, plantation and it's nearly impossible to get them to alternative platforms. Uh, even something as simple as, you know, me asking my, my friends and family to switch from WhatsApp to Telegram or, or Signal, it seems the people who will make the transition are people who are, in a sense, uh, awake to what's going on. And yeah. that they either spend time on both Facebook and Minds, for example, or have switched entirely to alternative social platforms, which is something I feel many of us will inevitably have to do. Uh, popular content creators have made this point that even though they have a good following on the alternative platforms like Minds or, or BitChute, the large swath and majority of their Facebook, YouTube, Twitter subscribers will not follow them uh, to Minds, to Gab, to BitChute. And the alternative platforms still seem to not have enough traction or am I wrong? You know, how, no, can, right. we, how, can, right. how can we make this transition to, to Minds, MeWe uh, and so on? 
we're in the we're in this for the long game so i think that we can't get too impatient i think you know we've been growing pretty quickly over the last few years not as quickly as like hundreds of millions of users it's a lot of it has to do with attracting the influencers so i think we need to focus on getting the influencers to move and then once enough of the influencers move there will be reason for more you know just casual users to to move over and it's it's not an easy it's not an easy thing because the the other problem is that because we allow a full spectrum of content a first amendment based content policy sometimes you know people end up seeing things that they might disagree with which uh-oh could never have that happen. That, that would be way too scary. But that does happen. And I think that that, unfortunately, it builds on itself where because we're getting a lot of the disillusioned social media people, we do sort of end up creating sort of a, a, a community that, you know, talks about certain types of things as opposed to more just like cat memes, which we need. It needs to be more cat meme. Alternative social media actually needs to become, it needs to become less about the principles. I hate to say it, like the principles always need to be there. Like we are forever committed to open source and free speech and decentralization and blockchain and all that kind of stuff. But it needs to be easy. It needs to be as easy as big tech. And, and it's also doubly hard for us to grow because we're not willing to spy on people to grow. So it would be so easy for us to just reach in everybody's contact book and then, you know, spam everybody. And that's how big tech grew. So the problem is doubly hard because not only is everybody already there on the big tech sites, but we're not going to spy on people. We have some more controversial content, which makes some people more uncomfortable. So we, the challenges are, are very clear. But I think a lot of it has to do with contextualizing the experience of seeing something that is controversial, making it clear to a user that, listen, like, is this controversial to you? You know, why? And what is actually going to make the world a better place in terms of your reaction to this content? You know, simply leaving or, you know, trying to get it banned assuming it's legal is really just taking us down the same path that we've been on. And it's not really helping. And that's why this compassion based approach that Daryl really spearheads is so key. And I think that whether you're just a Republican getting triggered by a Democrat or the other way around, or, you know, you're actually seeing some extreme content of, you know, a racist or, or whatnot, you have to ask yourself, you know, am I coming from a place of compassion with regards to the social interaction? And, you know, going down the rabbit hole of engaging with ex people with extreme ideology, you know, that's not something that everybody wants to do, but, and it's not something everyone needs to do, but I think it's something that more people should be willing to do. At the minimum, be willing to strike up a conversation with someone who's a, a Republican if you're a Democrat or the other way around. And if that's your context going into a network, I think, I think things could start to change because it, it, 
as, as opposed to seeing it and saying, oh, that, you know, I disagree with them. So, you know, unfollow. It should be like, I want, I want to follow stuff that I disagree with. So you're saying more cat memes. All right. No, uh, but I, I agree with you. It's like, and I think it takes, takes a certain uh, amount of uh, maturity. Um, I don't know what you call it. Self, um, uh, but I, I have some examples. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Like I have a number of friends, let's say on Facebook, uh, dear friends and family that are the opposite ideological view uh, of mine. And I'll see them post something and I'll put a, a comment where we, we, I want to have an open, friendly discussion. You know, I, I, I disagree with you on this and this is why, and then allow them to respond. Uh, and then usually I have like one or two people on my feed that are just attacking me. They have the polar opposite view and they're just viciously attacking me. And that, mm. that's that violent um, aspect that we want to avoid. We want to have a, a dialogue. And I, I want, wanted to end on a more positive note and here, where is your, hear more about where is your platform minds headed in the near future? What positive developments do you see in terms of, as well as the crypto space, because you guys, I think, are using um, Ethereum. Uh, so what uh, positive developments do you see in, the, in terms of crypto uh, and social media in the future, both alternative social media and, and big tech? Yeah, for sure. I mean, look, the, the, there's, there's plenty bad happening, but the good news is that the alternatives are growing you know, crypto is exploding. People want more democratic, decentralized infrastructure for the internet. And there's tons of money going into this, tons of venture capital money, um, tons of just independent investors are, are building this. I mean, this new economic system is being built right in front of our eyes with Bitcoin and Ethereum. And that is magical. That is beautiful. And we're, you know, running applications on top of Ethereum a little bit. And we're, we're, we're going to be expanding upon, upon our wallet functionality and our earnings capabilities much more in, in the coming months. We're really focused on, I, I like to sort of fuse together human nature with the ethics. So, you know, we have all the principles, the transparency, the privacy, the um, rewards and the free speech, but human nature with regard, what do people want out of social media? Typically, if you look at Instagram, Snapchat, they want to be heard. They want likes. They want maybe to get paid. They want money. You know, these are primal forces, you know. So we've been working on monetization. Like we want to pay as many people as possible for the contributions that they give. I mean, who's going to argue with that? that that's an easy thing to say to your friend. Hey, you know, you might make a few bucks, you know, for, for contributing content to this, this platform. You know, regardless of anything else, that's something that people might say, oh, that's kind of that's kind of interesting. Um, also, with reach, like we reward these tokens for your engagement and then one token is worth a thousand views. So you can earn more views on your content by participating in the network. I mean, everyone freaks out about, oh, my likes are going down on Instagram or Facebook because the algorithms are strangling them. It's like, well, listen, don't worry about the free speech stuff. Do you want your art to get seen by more people? Try this. This, you know, we're not restricting your reach. We actually want to give you more reach. So we focus on those human nature features. And that's really where we've been at. We've done a total revamp of the UX and we, you know, did brought in analytics, uh, wallet support for not just crypto, but also like fiat, you know, cash payouts for, for content. Um, 
working a lot on video and we actually launched a YouTube sync tool. So you can actually connect your YouTube account to mine now and it auto imports your videos. So that'll make it way easier for you to maintain. I, I would definitely recommend you, uh, I can follow up with how to, how to get that synced up. Um, but we're just going hard, man. We've got to make it easy for people. It, it's, uh, there, there's a lot of laziness and apathy and, you know, these, these sites are just so big and, so it's going to be, there's not going to be one thing that, that pushes us over. It's going to, we need the influencers. We have a responsibility to get the tech like really good and competitive because no one's going to leave if it's not a good app. Yeah, it's, it's the classical David versus Goliath uh, thing. And, and that's the fun of it, you know, participating, building something uh, wonderful. And I think mine's, I mean, I, like I said, I post my podcast there and I'm going to start using it now more and I'll, I'll figure out how to, how to do the YouTube uh, sync. I know I was doing that with BitChute, but BitChute has been having some issues. And uh, yeah, I mean, it works well, Minds, and I, I, I have faith in it for, for the future. Um, is, are there any, is there any other point you'd like to get across or, or final thought to, to leave us with? Um, no, find me, minds.com slash Otman. And I'm, I guess I would just end with, I'm really curious, like what what is your biggest focus right now with regards to, you know, your research and, and, and your, your podcast? Like what, 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 what's the message that you're really trying to, to get out there? Well, w with the podcast is like, I guess one of the b biggest things, which may not even have been my original intention was uh, not boxing myself into a, a category or ideology. As, as you have said, yes, I, I'm a conservative uh, Christian, but I have talked to, you know, you know, Marxists, um, libertarians, other conservatives on the podcast. And I believe that uh, from the, the, these people who are well-informed, uh, well-intentioned, that you can learn uh, as much as, you know, from, from any of them, right? And that's why I get called all these different names across the spectrum. And, you know, some of the Marxists do a better uh, and the critical analysis of, of the failing economic system uh, that we're having right now that then do conservatives, which, mm. which sh should be, but they're not doing it. You know, so I'm going to go listen to, I, I had CJ Hopkins on recently, who's like a leftish uh, kind of person. And he's really hitting the nail on the head regarding this totalitarianism of the COVID situation that we're experiencing. Well, no, no one else from my, let's say, team is talking about that. And you, you, that's kind of the, the main point that you can learn from, from everyone. Absolutely. That, well, that, yeah, I'm going to, I'm definitely going to, going to dig into your, the, those episodes and dig into your podcast more. I mean, yeah, to me, it's all about nuance. I try to not label myself though, you know, I'm, I'm not going to do it now, but you know, typically it's just, you can't make an informed decision about any topic, any issue, any piece of content, unless you have access to the full spectrum of debate around that topic. So, you know, if you look at the way that the big networks are approaching like fact checking and whatnot, it's just like, it's very clearly just sort of an amalgamation of mainstream views about, a, you know, or a bunch of think tanks, what they say about a certain issue, as opposed to not even necessarily saying what's true or false, but letting the data show what it shows. And so you can still have, you know, voting mechanisms and 
citation mechanisms. And like I was talking about with decentralized reputation and, and, and enabling experts to weigh in in a way that can be fairly displayed across the political spectrum. But I just, I think that we, we, we need to not be afraid of what the data is going to show us. And I think that there, there is a lot of fear on that because look, it makes you uncomfortable. Social media can radicalize people. It is also the only way to de-radicalize people if they're online. So we, you know, that's really the net net. If you're, it, our best bet at calming down all of this polarization is to grow platforms or transform platforms into being willing to facilitate civil discourse. And yeah, we're going to be releasing a white paper on it soon. I, I do, uh, I'll give sort of a little bit of inside info. A, 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 a de-radicalization expert that I've been talking to who we're, we're partnering up with is, has been talking to the, these departments at YouTube and Facebook and they know exactly what is going on. They know that they're fueling the polarization. They know that banning all of this content is contributing significantly to the problem, but you know, that can't necessarily overpower their PR priorities. And because they would take a PR hit is the problem because so many people want to, they don't care if they don't care about the data, they just want the content gone. And that's a very powerful force in the media landscape right now that we just need to battle against. And ultimately, I'm just optimistic because data is on our side. And, and the final comment, I guess, to add what you were saying from the geopolitical perspective, talking about JFK, uh, the, the assassination of Kennedy. And that's, you know, the, the best book, I think, is JFK and the Unspeakable by James Douglas. But the point with Kennedy was that he listens to everybody around him from the crazy military generals that wanted to launch, you know, World War III to, to the CIA saying, let's go overthrow this country, uh, to the peaceniks, to everyone. And he went away with his own conclusion and decided uh, what to do. And that's kind of that, the, the, the essence of what we should be doing, listening to everyone and then coming to our own conclusions basing, based on the data, which we, we may not like, which will, may force us to change our, our view. So, all right, I, I urge listeners to disengage from big tech and create a Minds account now if you haven't already and start getting your feet wet uh, in the alternative social media space. And uh, thank you again, Mr. Altman, for being on Geopolitics and Empire and keep up the great work uh, you're doing with Minds. Don't I really appreciate it. Thanks for having me. I hope you enjoyed this Geopolitics and Empire podcast and interview. I would like to remind you that our website is geopoliticsandempire.com and you can sign up for our mailing list that goes out each weekend with the latest podcast and a long collection of important news headlines. It's good to sign up for the newsletter in case we experience censorship and deplatforming. You can help the Geopolitics and Empire podcast by subscribing to and interacting with all of our channels such as YouTube, Twitter, Facebook, Gab, Minds, and Steemit. You can also help us by leaving a rating and review on your favorite podcast platforms such as iTunes, CastBox, Stitcher, Spreaker, and so on. Finally, if you value our work and our mission and would like to see us continue interviewing experts from across the political spectrum, 
please consider leaving a one-time donation via PayPal or Bitcoin or becoming a regular monthly supporter on our Patreon. All the links can be found on geopoliticsandempire.com. Thanks for listening.